Welcome to another edition of our Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Time to talk some hoops with March Madness not too far down the road. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. It's great as always to have you with us. And Chris, man, we're getting into the uh, the stretch run of the season. Uh, final two weeks of the regular season for a lot of conferences. Some of them are done this week. We'll start to have some tournaments next week, so it's almost here. Yeah, it's hard to believe, man. It seemed like the season just started yesterday, and here we are uh, at the at the base of Mount uh, Mount Madness. But uh, <laughs> I look forward to uh, to March. Uh, I look forward to the uh, return to somewhat normalcy uh, of the NCAA tournament. Of course, two years ago we lost it, which I still haven't recovered from. And last year it was in one spot, well, one city. But this year it'll be back to normal at, at different sites. And there, there's nothing quite like the, the NCAAs, I don't think. And there's nothing quite like this stretch run here in the next couple of weeks where teams are positioning. And Joe Lenardi is ubiquitous. He, he's yeah. everywhere. Uh, he's in the bunker. Turn. Yeah, he's in the bunker. And and uh, so, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm in awe of him and what he does because there are so many variables and so many things that you have to keep in mind and at this point, uh, as teams are jockeying for position in their own conference tournaments, you're looking at tiebreakers. And and I know in the SEC, there, there's the, the four teams that are probably going to get buys uh, in, into the quarterfinals are probably determined, but uh, the order of them has not. Yeah. So you, you've got Auburn and, and, and Tennessee and Kentucky in there. And, and uh, who am I forgetting? Arkansas. Arkansas, of course, uh, they're playing probably as, as well as anybody in the league. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, not just for the SEC, but all around the country. Uh, I really love championship week. I'm not saying that I love it more than the tournament itself, but I love championship week a lot. Yeah, and and there are always different sort of goals for, for different teams in, in different conferences. You know, the, the, the mid-major conferences – a lot of them you're playing for one bid, so there's that whole desperation that goes into it. Uh, the, the team I call games for now, Vanderbilt, it, it, it's it's a different deal. As we'll go to Tampa here in a couple weeks, uh, you know you're, you're going to have to go on a big run and, and pretty much win the thing to have a chance to get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Vanderbilt's been trying to sort of stay above that uh, that Wednesday. Uh, date to play in the tournament if you stay out of spots 11 through 14 in the sec you get to play on thursday to, to start off and, and you know one of the goals too is to finishing the upper half of the league and finish over 500 uh tough setback last night against alabama that, that was a, a a disappointing outcome i think everybody uh wearing black and gold was pretty crushed by the way it ended but uh 74 72 alabama uh they're, they're going to be in they play the toughest schedule in the country it's ridiculous yeah. to see who all they played and really who all they've beaten in non-conference. But, yeah, it's uh, it's almost here, and uh, conference tournaments will be getting cranked up next week. Speaking of, Joe Lenardi, ESPN's bracket expert, uh, real quick look, uh, maybe no particular order. Gonzaga is back to being the number one overall seed. Their number ones are Gonzaga and Auburn and Arizona and Kansas. The twos are Purdue, Kentucky, Texas Tech, and Baylor. The Kansas-Kentucky dynamics a little in- interesting because Kentucky went to Allen Fieldhouse and, and, and wiped them out in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. But uh, Lenardi has Kansas as a one and Kentucky as a two as based on the, the larger body of work. The last four buys, and th- these are teams that wouldn't have to play in Dayton, Miami, North Carolina, Creighton, and San Francisco. The last four in, these would be in the first four games, Michigan, Indiana, Memphis, and San Diego State. And the first four out, 
SMU and BYU, two teams I've seen in person this season, Oklahoma and Dayton. The Big Ten leads the way with nine teams, including Michigan and Indiana. Big East with seven, Big 12, SEC all have uh, six teams in, according to Joe Lenardi. And we're going to talk a little more about the Big East later, by the way, with uh, Kevin McNamara, a Blue Ribbon contributor. But, yeah, Joe, Joe does a great job with all that. And there's so many more. He doesn't just, like, throw teams in there. They're all the bracket principles and things that he really understands as far as who can play who, where they would go, and all those different variables that go into putting this bracket together. It's amazing what he knows. I, I mean, there, a lot of lay persons or, or nor, normal fans uh, don't understand things like it, you can't play a team in your league uh, before the – well, I guess it's the Sweet 16. I don't even know that. And I love the NCAA tournament as well as anybody, but I don't even know all the different principles that, you, that you've got to go through. And that's the thing that he does so well. People rip him on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, Twitter is such an easy place to take a shot at people, but people rip him and, and he just sits back and, and laughs at him. He's like, you can rip me all you want, but I've lived this for 30 years, man. Yeah. I, I, I've drunk it. I've, I've slept it. I've eaten it. You don't know it better than me, dude. So you can tee <laughs> off on me all you want, but you're wrong. Chris, moving into the really the big story around college basketball of the week, the uh, the incident in the handshake line in at Wisconsin on Sunday with uh, Michigan coach Juwan Howard uh, hitting Wisconsin assistant coach Joe Krabenhoft after the heated discussion about a late timeout and Greg Gard and, and um, Juwan Howard had the initial conversation it escalated from there howard was suspended for the remaining five games of the regular season and fined forty thousand dollars uh phil martelli's going to coach in his absence a guy who has plenty of head coaching experience for his more than two decades at st joseph's yeah they'll be fine as far as that goes uh (laughs) i read a quote from him uh, somebody was asking me hey do you need anything or are you okay he's like i'm good i've done this before i got this yeah uh, yeah, I'll have everything except for the uh, the flapping uh, bird on the sideline. <laughs> yeah, might have to import that guy from Philly. <laughs> right. Uh, as far as the punishment, uh, to me, I, I thought about it a lot. I, I felt like it was appropriate, uh, a suspension, but my, not not being fired. I, I thought that probably landed about where it should have. Uh, I know there were people, uh, you know, calling for for various degrees of of uh, punishment for Juwan Howard. And, and another thing from this. And I heard Tom Izzo talking about this the other day. Yeah. Don't don't get rid of the handshake line no. due to the rare negative incident. You, you see these things after games as far as the handshake lines, and people will say, "Well, it's some of it's phony, and yeah, maybe some of it is." You have some drive bys at times, and, and it's not very sincere. But by and large, the largest percentage of the interactions that go on there are fine, and some are really memorable and special, as, as Izzo talked about with some of the conversations he has with opposing players and telling them that uh, you know he appreciates what they've meant to the Big Ten, and even though he wished they had they'd gone ahead and gone pro, he, he was glad they were there, and at times you get a chance to cross paths with maybe a legendary coach or a player, and I, you know, I think everybody involved should be capable of showing some level of sportsmanship to at least acknowledge the other team for a minute when the game's over with, and you know, maybe you've played a heated game or maybe it's going to blow out or whatever. But I think you should at least be able to to put that aside for a minute and and wish the other team well for for, for a brief moment as you head to the locker room. Kevin, as you know, I've I've covered the game for decades now. Uh... Uh, it's, it makes it sound better to say decades than how, how many right. years. Yeah, I, I try to do that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know what? In all the games I've seen over the years, um, I've only seen one incident in the handshake line. And 
So to, to get rid of it would be a, a ridiculous move. And Tom Izzo was so right. I, as far as Juwan Howard, I mean, immediately after, I, I read a, the Detroit paper columnist said he should be fired. And I just – I don't think in the heat of the moment, yeah, he shouldn't have been pressing. The game was out of line. Yeah, Greg Gard from Wisconsin shouldn't have called a timeout. Or he shouldn't have put hands on him in, in the handshake line. Uh, it all got out of control. But to fire him for that, I, I can't see it. I think this was an appropriate penalty. He seemed to show that he didn't on Sunday, but the next day after the penalty was levied, uh, he showed the proper amount of contrition, said it would never happen again. So let's don't be re- overly reactionary to this thing, man. I, I mean, now the one thing that you could say is it was nuts because uh, Juwan took a swing and then his his players felt emboldened to, dudes, you're in Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, th- those cheeseheads – could have come down out of the stands. There were way more of them than you. Uh, it could have gotten ugly, but uh, that's just so rare that, that those kind of things happen. I think the handshake line is amusing. Like you said, the drive by handshake and, you know, you always, uh, when tensions flare, you, you, you always look at the two coaches and see what happens. And, but far more often they'll embrace or whatever, or pat each other on the shoulder and, 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 and have some kind remarks for one another. And you're right. Uh, you can always see like Coach K, you can always see him patting uh, the star player of the other team. And, and, and you can imagine what he's saying. It's, it's been a pleasure coaching against you or you've been great, uh, whatever. But, uh, yeah, uh, let's don't be reactionary here because the, the NCAA has, has, has done things without a lot of study, uh, like, like the NIL. Yeah. And now they're having to go back and, and do some study on it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's stupid, uh, to make off the cuff decisions. I think it's interesting to me in sports, how different sports have different protocols about post-game things. Uh, you know, football, you see Jersey swaps and, and, and lots of different things that go on on the field after it's over with. Hockey uh, is different. Yeah. Hockey, the handshake line after a hockey playoff series is one of the great things in sports, if you ask oh, me. Oh, yeah. The respect that's shown after these guys have beaten the daylights out of each other for several games yeah. over the, the span of a couple weeks. Major League Baseball, you don't have anything like that. If there's any sort of greeting that goes on, maybe it's down in the tunnel uh, you know, uh, where the clubhouses are, uh, you might see the manager sort of acknowledge the other team a little bit as they, they go uh, down the tunnel into the clubhouse. But for for years and years, you've seen these handshake lines in college basketball, and I, I just hope that uh, that's something that will continue, and, and this won't change that uh, as we go forward. Uh, you mentioned Mike Shashevsky. Uh, a new book is out by Ian O'Connor, and I, I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, it really goes deep into his career as he uh, gets toward the finish line here. These are the last few weeks for Coach K, uh, regardless of how it goes for Duke. Uh, excerpts are out there about his relationship with Bobby Knight, who is his mentor at Army. Now, these days, uh, won't speak to Coach K because of 
perceived slights and not enough appreciation, uh, according to, to Bobby Knight, and also about coaching the Olympic team with the NBA stars, Kobe and LeBron, and how that dynamic worked with a guy who'd uh, exclusively coached in college basketball and how he figured out a way to uh, to work with you know guys who were the established NBA veterans. Uh, I, I thought it was some really interesting reading, the things that I saw, and I'm looking forward to, to reading the whole thing. Yeah, I, I read the excerpt about his relationship or deteriorating relationship with Coach Knight, and there were, there was a, an episode. There, there was some sort of commemoration for Army players, and Coach Knight was at a table. Don DeVoe was there, and, and whom I know, having coached when he was at Tennessee. But um, Coach K knelt down to talk to Coach Knight, and, and he sniffed him, said nothing. And I think the the slight was he offered to to scout uh, other countries' teams for the Olympics, and Coach K didn't take him up on it. And after after that, uh, and I think there were there, there were some expletives in the book. Uh, Coach K said he was blanking done with him, and uh, that has been pretty much the case. And it's a shame, but. Um, you know, as, as crusty as he's been over the years, Coach Knight, they say you couldn't have a better friend if if you were his ex-player or, or whatever, but you hate to see that. The other interesting thing uh, that's that's come out of at least, I don't know if it was an excerpt form, but just when when Coach K made the decision uh, to, to put forth his replacement and it, he chose John Shire instead of Tommy Amaker. Yeah. And uh, – that was a tough thing. Mike actually called Tommy to tell him, but you know, I think he made the right decision. And uh, it's it's weird. Uh, the other night was his second to last game, and and then I guess they'll play Carolina, and that'll be it. It's so so hard to believe that this is it for him. He's just been such a part of the fabric of the game. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, of course, uh, on the cover of Blue Ribbon this year. But I, I think the stuff with Bobby Knight to me is really sad. Uh, that, that Bobby Knight can't. Put aside whether whatever issues he has, is he you know he's getting later on in life. I mean he's he's not a young guy anymore, and I guess not in good health. Right, either. not in good health, and it all goes back to uh, 1992 when they played in the Final Four, and uh, Knight I guess had gotten wind that he, he he that Coach K I guess basically felt like that he didn't want Knight taking too much credit that he felt like he had he had gone out and, and achieved a lot of things on his own, and and Knight through a, a mutual friend passed along a note to coach K telling him that, you know, to remember who helped him get the job and, and that sort of thing and how crushed they were. And that, uh, you know, he talked about the handshake line, I guess he just kind of passed him by there. And, and again, when they were backstage getting ready for the press conference, but you know, in this day and time and after, you know, coach K had passed him and Bobby and I didn't really like being there when, uh, you know, when coach K reached a milestone, win. I just think all that stuff should should be put aside and, and patch it up and before it's too late. I, I just think that part of it's really sad. But, uh, again, looking forward to uh, seeing more of the book by Ian O'Connor about Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, you mentioned NIL, name, image, and likeness. And I know, Chris, this is a, a topic that's been discussed and examined and, and needs more discussion and examination probably as we go forward here uh, in, in the early stages of uh, players getting some um, compensation for these things or being able to sign deals and and those sorts of uh, things that, that have been gone, gone on. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't surprise me that, that they're going to review it because they, they didn't review it and had no oversight. Uh, some States have their own set of laws about NIL and they're just, 
there, there's got to be a central theme to this because even in the summer when, when I was talking to coaches for my Blue Ribbon stories, uh, there were some horror stories about tampering and uh, recruiting with NIL. And, you know, by the letter of, of the law now, it's it's legal. I mean, people can can get stuff. Uh, and but but I don't think. I, I don't think using it to to take a if you're a power conference team and you use NIL to take a a good player from from a mid major team uh, where he would have been the player of the year in his league I don't know I I got problems with that but you know anything goes right now and yeah I, such as you can I I think there has to be some sort of centralized set of of conditions uh, what's good and what's not because it. I mean, anybody could have told you this. It leaves you wide open to, uh, to improprieties. It, it, it does. I mean, but it's improprieties, but, but under the guise of uh, it's legal. Yeah, I've, I've thought about all this stuff a lot over the last few years as this has uh, been a major discussion point. I'm fine with players getting compensation for, yeah. for various things. But I do think there has to be some sort of guidelines and regulations about it too, to where it's not the wild, wild west, and everybody is, you know, poaching players and, and using this to entice people to transfer to their program. There's got to be some way to to regulate it a bit. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Uh, Kevin McNamara is going to join us shortly. We're going to talk about uh, Providence and the success of that program under Coach Ed Cooley. Who, Chris, he seems like a, a neat guy, and it, that seems like the the perfect spot for him as head coach of a team that's twenty two and three and twelve and two in the Big East, and really controls its own destiny. Is uh, they get to set to play Xavier and Creighton at home, and you win both those games, and you win the league after the uh, the win by UConn over Villanova seventy one sixty nine. Yeah, I think he's. And we'll talk to Kevin about this. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Um, probably the reason for that is they've only won one NCAA tournament game, but they've been in five in the 11 years he's been there, plus two NIT. So they're always consistently competing for postseason play. And, you know, that's not a place where you're going to get a bunch of five star guys. Uh, he's done it with transfers and older players, yeah. next man up mentality. And it'll be interesting to hear what K-Mac has to say about him. Chris, a- another notable retirement in college basketball by a coach who's won a national championship, and that was Tubby Smith stepping away at High Point uh, a few days ago. Uh, Gigi Smith, his son, will take over for the remainder of this season, and then we'll see where the uh, the coaching situation there goes. But uh, Tubby, a-, a guy who's Really a beloved figure around college basketball. Uh, of course, won the national championship in his first season at Kentucky in 1998. Uh, several stops in his career, including Georgia before that, uh, Kentucky, then Minnesota, then Memphis, and uh, finished really where he started. He was a player at High Point. That was his alma mater and uh, finished his career there. And I, I thought it was neat when High Point played at Rupp Arena back uh, in December put a jersey up in the rafters at Rupp honoring uh, Coach Smith for his excellent work there. But uh, just known as uh, one of the nice guys in, in college basketball and uh, stepping away now after uh, a lot of seasons in the game. Yeah, I, I always thought, honestly, that he took high point uh, to maybe give his son another shot at, at a head coaching job. He'd been a head coach before and and I guess got fired. But, um, yeah, I'd been around Tubby when he was in the SEC and – I always thought he was a class act and a good coach. I mean, you, you look at it, he went from Tulsa to Georgia and then uh, 
CM Newton took a chance and hired him at Kentucky. He was the first African-American uh, basketball coach there, obviously. And then he took that odd move to Minnesota and then to Texas Tech and Memphis and finally High Point. But the thing about him is he's one of only three head coaches to lead five different schools to the NCAA tournament. So I think that's impressive. But the best thing about him, he just, he just was a good guy that uh, nobody can really say anything bad about. So uh, you know, maybe they can, but that's their problem, not his. Uh, so when you can do that, when you've impacted the lives of, of young men and, uh, and done your job uh, with integrity, uh, you can step down and, and, and be proud of, of, of your career, and he certainly can be. Yeah, I forgot the stops at Tulsa and Texas Tech. Yeah, he uh, made a number of them and successful pretty much everywhere he was over the course of his career. Chris, our guest is here. He is Kevin McNamara. He covers Providence and college basketball up in New England. And uh, you can find him on Twitter at Kevin Mac Sports. His website is well hosted, the Kevin Mac Sports Hour, and a longtime Blue Ribbon contributor. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys doing good. down in Tennessee? Yeah. I, I, I love Tennessee. My, my sister-in-law is from Tennessee, as a matter of fact. Good deal. Yeah, we're doing fine down here. And uh, interesting contrast in weather, as we were talking about before we went on. Now, now I have a question for you. I, I have done a game at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence. But the one thing I could not find at the Dunkin' Donuts Center was any donuts. Uh, I, I walked around. I said, oh, this is great. I'm going to have a donut at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. And, and there are none to be found. You could get the coffee, but not the donuts. Uh, nothing has changed, Kevin. That's still the case. And even worse, if you like Dunkin' Donuts coffee, you probably have to spend an extra buck, dollar fifty, just to get one at the arena. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's 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 not fair. Life isn't fair sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and then then Providence hit a buzzer beater to beat Belmont that when I was calling the game. So uh. oh, that was I, I remember it well. <laughs> Kyron Cartwright. Yep, I remember it. And his last name was Cartwright because I, I can see that ball in the air, and that was after Belmont scored on a, on a lob play at the rim. But uh, yeah. it was it was a fun experience. That was a cool place to do a game. Yeah, they've been rocking uh, all week, all season, I should say. Uh, they've sold out the rest of the year. It's one of the best seasons that Providence has had in a long, long time. Kevin, you've covered Providence for many, many years, and, and we've talked over the years about Ed Cooley. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. What is his particular genius? Because as you wrote in this edition of Blue Ribbon, uh, they would probably be back to where they always are after kind of a COVID plague last year. And you were dead on, you know. Well, I, I think we underrated him, actually. Uh, yeah. I think what is his genius as a coach? Well, I'd say every year is different, and we can get into what makes this year's team, you know, better than any team he's had thus far. But uh, as a rule, he's a very positive guy. Uh, they have a persona that Providence is going to play tough under Ed Cooley. They're not going to check the boxes on, you know, Ken Palm and, offensive efficiency and average 80 points a game. Ed Cooley would, would much rather win 62 56. Uh, you're leaving with a bloody nose and maybe a, a thrown out shoulder. <laughs> and the fans at the Dunkin Donut center are screaming and invective at, at you and the referees. <laughs> that's, that's, that's worked for Providence. And, you know, does maybe that take you only so far when you run up against teams, maybe with NBA players with, with teams with high-powered offenses, we'll see. But you know, obviously, the success has been very good for for Providence under Ed Cooley. I noticed. I, I couldn't help but notice, and, and th this is so true of, of like, and and you've seen 
Villanova many times over the years. They're always get old, stay old. Mm. And I noticed Providence uh, is eighth in the country with 2.73 years of experience per man. Uh, that's by design, isn't it? I mean, he likes to be experienced. Yeah, no, no question, Chris. He he said this maybe. Now, this isn't new. This isn't a COVID thing or the NCAA transfer rule or anything like that. This is at least four or five years ago when he started taking some experienced transfers. He took Carson DeRozier from Wake Forest. He took Tyler Harris. Um, I'm trying to think of where Tyler came from. Maybe NC State, something like that. And those guys really were key players on some of his very first teams at Providence. He always cites Mike Bray, the uh, Notre Dame coach. Who came to the uh, you know he, Mike was taking transfers back in the in the Big East days back in the early early and mid two thousands Ryan Humphrey from uh, Oklahoma I remember was an impact transfer yeah. so so Cooley really subscribes to that and right now I I think the number is they have four guys who are in graduate school and three who are seniors so that's seven of their top eight so not surprised to hear that Providence is in the top ten in experience it certainly is by design. Kevin, it seems like a pretty balanced group, too. I mean, you have Nate Watson leading the way, averages 14 and 5, but you got four guys averaging double figures. A.J. Reeves is right there as well at nine per game. Can you kind of speak to how they're constructed and how they make it work? Well, it's interesting because Nate Watson, you know, graduate senior, fifth-year player, this is the lowest scoring average maybe in two years for him. Uh, Doesn't complain. A.J. Reeves, uh, again, four-year player, this is his lowest points per game in a while. They went out. They they had some major holes to fill. They had some chemistry issues to fill over last year. Uh, Providence is a place that, you know, again, you guys have been to the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Th- that helps them. That place helps them. And to not play, they didn't play any games in the dunk last year. All the games were on campus before no fans, every single one. Now, there were a few road games where there were fans, but the Big East as a whole, there weren't many fans allowed. That, that sapped the energy, I think, from this program and from these this group of kids. Uh, they lost David Duke one year early to the NBA. He's now at the Brooklyn Nets. You would think that that set them back even more. And I think that's really what affected their preseason ranking in the Big East more than anything else. But a hey, transfer portal. How has it changed so many teams around the country? It, it totally saved Providence. They went out and got Al Durham. Uh, two-time captain, 1,000-point scorer at Indiana. Now, he's never played in the NCAA tournament, but think about that. Two-time captain at Indiana, mm-hmm. you're a pretty good player. You played in a lot of games. Justin Manaya, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, Omar Manaya's son, the former uh, Met GM. Yep. Four, four years, really three years, he had some injuries at South Carolina. So he's been to Tennessee, he's been to Florida, he's been to Kentucky. You know, you go to, you go to Villanova or Creighton, it's no big deal. Those two guys, huge, huge parts of the mix. And, you know, you can take transfers and you can take some highly rated transfers. And some of these teams around the country have taken these highly rated guys, you know, who had some good track records and they just didn't fit on their new team. Those two guys, first of all, really, really, you know, mature young guys, but they've basketball wise, they've really fit. So their top seven really complement each other really well. And I guess you just got to point back to Ed Cooley and his staff to be able to see that ahead of time. I certainly did. You know, I, I saw these two kids come in. And I'm like, okay, they're pretty good players. I didn't see the fit that uh, that's that's really made a huge impact. Maryland uh, opened up. Ed's name immediately began getting tossed out there. But I wonder if he might not be like Mark Few, who, who is happy where he is. And a lot of people don't know Ed is home. He's from Providence. Do you think he would necessarily – 
jump or or do you think he's found his career gig? Well, he certainly found his career gig if that's what he'd like to do. Uh, yeah. Would he jump? I don't think he jumped to Maryland. I think Maryland is in the wrong league. Uh, that, yeah. That's Maryland's problem more than anything. Uh, they, they should be in the ACC. I mean, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, L- Louisville, you know, that's a different story. That's a top 10 job. If, if, they, if people aren't cheating, it's a top five job. Um, and, you know, who knows what they're going to do? Uh, I have no idea, you know, w- what their plan is. But that said, people don't realize what a good job this is right now because Ed Cooley has made it an even better job than it was before. He makes over $3 million a year. He may be among the top 20, 25 paid coaches in the country. Uh, so, you know, I, I would, I would venture to guess that Mark Turgeon wasn't making 3.2, 3.3 million at Maryland. So, you know, you're going to have to pay to get Ed Cooley. Um, he was definitely interested in the Michigan job a couple of years ago before Juwan Howard was hired. I uh, did interview. That was the only interview that he's done in his, you know, uh, 11 years of Providence. He is from here. His family's from here. His wife's family's from here. He's made a huge impact in the community here. That's very important to him. And needless to say, his impact with the Friars, he has one blemish on his resume, you know, one NCAA tournament win in his tenure here. Obviously, they hope to change that this March. Yeah, and when Rick Barnes got the Tennessee job, I think you called me and said, you are going to love him. And and I, I know you guys had a good relationship. And you told me you're going to have a good relationship with Rick Barnes. And man, you were so dead on. He he is such a a good and class act. And I mean, he'll call or text at at odd hours. He may be driving home, and he'll just call to sound stuff off of me. But you were so right about him. Uh, he's he's a a canny guy, isn't he? I mean, he understands that you you got to get along with the media, and uh, he just does such a great job, and and he does it the right way. Well, you know, think about it, Chris. He's been doing it for 40 years, and he's done it in the Big East, the ACC, uh, the Big 12, now the SEC. He might be the most experienced coach in the country. He might be the most experienced coach in the country. I mean, yeah. think about that. Or there's maybe five others in the, you know, fine, Jim Beheim, But Jim Beheim isn't as experienced because he's been in one place his whole life. Yeah. And, and that's very different than – what Rick has gone through. Rick's been fired. Jim Beheim's not been fired. So he, he's, he's the most experienced coach in the country. But to your point, if you get to know Rick Barnes and his, you know, he, he, he can be private for sure. Uh, he's a sweetheart of a man. He is a sweetheart of a guy. Uh, and, you know, I was a young, young reporter. It was my first beat. Rick was in his third year at Providence. Um, I was crushed when he left, uh, in all honesty, because I had built up a really good relationship with him. And then when he goes to Clemson, he's probably calling me as much as I'm calling him. And uh, just just what it is. I, he, he's a nice, he's just a sweetheart of a guy, gotten to know his, his wife and two children. Uh, they, they, they live a, a blessed life. They know it. Uh, and boy, the impact he's made at all the schools he's been at. And uh, I, I almost feel it's almost too bad that his uh, relationship with Dick Vitale has become so public. Uh, I don't think that was ever planned. Um, but Dick Vitale is not the only person that Rick Barnes is reaching out to these days. Kevin McNamara is our guest. Blue Ribbon contributors covered Providence and college hoops up in New England for many years. Uh, one more about Providence. How did UConn's win over Villanova open the door for Providence to really control its own destiny as far as winning that conference? Well, how about this? 
This is the 42nd year of the Big East. Might be 43. My math might be off. 1979-80 was the first year. Providence is an original member. Dave Gavitt was the Providence coach, AD. He basically put the league together. They've never won a regular season championship, ever. Well, that win by Connecticut last night. And if, if Connecticut's not the most hated team in Providence, they're way, way up there. <laughs> so, so probably very – I can't tell you how many texts I got last night while the game was going on. Uh, it's, it, it, I feel so dirty rooting for UConn. <laughs> but sure enough, Providence has two home games this week. They play Xavier and Creighton. If they win both, they're going to win the Big East regular season championship for the first time. They won't even have to worry about their trip to Villanova next week. So just an, a great opportunity for the Friars for sure. Yeah, sometimes all this makes you do stuff you're just not comfortable with, but I guess that's the way it goes. Uh, real, real quick, also, can the conference get seven teams, you think? I do. I do think they, they can get seven. I, I'd be a little concerned if I was Seton Hall. A Creighton's trending in the right way. Seton Hall's not. Um, I think seeding's going to be important, uh, guys. Uh, Providence is, is an interesting case. Uh, bad metrics. I think I explained why, you know, because of tempo and whatnot. Uh, they're branded as the number one luck team in the country. I'm the I'm the luckiest media person in the country, but I, I, I don't know how you rate that. I, I, mm-hmm. So, but Ken Palm found a way to rate it, and he's got Providence off the charts. Maybe actually, I think it's the luckiest team in ten years, or, or even more. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that has affected their metrics, and yet their resume probably says they should be a two seed, and the NCAA said they're a four. Uh, believe me, Providence will take a four seed and, and run to March. Kevin McNamara, great to visit with you. Thanks so much for the time. Hope we can uh, catch up with you again down the road. A a great show, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. That was Kevin McNamara, covers Providence and college basketball in New England, a Blue Ribbon contributor, and great to catch up with Kevin and talk about Providence and uh, the season that that Friar program has had. They've been really, really good. A few games to look at uh, coming up on Saturday. uh, Big ones in the SEC. Kentucky plays at Arkansas. Auburn plays at Tennessee, uh, you look on down some of the other games nationally. Kansas plays Baylor. That's a top 10 matchup down in Texas. Gonzaga at St. Mary's. Uh, Gonzaga 23 and 2 at St. Mary's 22 and 6. It's hard to see anybody uh, stopping the Gonzaga Bulldogs at this point, but we'll see where it goes. We've talked about Creighton and Providence, uh, USC and Oregon a little bit later on. We've seen some interesting games. I stay up late and watch that uh, Pac 12 game almost every week, mostly because uh, a lot of weeks. Um, it, it's Bill Walton and Dave Pash. I know the uh, the game, the Oregon and Arizona game. They they had uh, they had Shulman and Billis on that one. They were out west for that game uh, last Saturday night. So yeah, I was disappointed when I turned it over. Yeah, there. I know. I, I was totally. Not that I don't like those two. I was totally expecting to uh, to hear uh, Bill Walton and, and Dave Pash, but uh, those two are excellent too. We're going to do a new segment here, Chris, called the Blue Ribbon Bracket Breakers, uh, teams that have a chance to do some damage that uh, aren't necessarily in power conferences. And we'll start with Murray State out of the OVC, and this is their swan song in the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, they got a big showdown game with Belmont coming up on Thursday as we record this, but the Racers are 26-2. and uh, Matt McMahon's team is 16-0 and and ranked number 19, 16-0 in conference play. And I think even if they got upset in Evansville in the OVC tournament next week, they'll get an at-large bid. They have some veteran dudes on their team. K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown are multi-year starters. They've played in these conference tournaments. They know all about it. Justice Hill averaging 13 points and five assists per game. And uh, K.J. and Tevin have averaged big numbers in terms of points and Brown shooting 
uh, 39% from three-point land. So Murray State, which has been a, a power program in that league, and they've gone to the tournament and done damage, put guys in the NBA. They've been a, a terrific mid-major program for a lot of years and look like they have a chance to do some more of it uh, when this March gets here. Yeah, it, this is kind of unbelievable. Last year, they were 13-13 and 13 overall and 10-10 and 10 in, in, in the Ohio Valley. And I write the Murray State store for Blue Ribbon, and I've known Matt for Matt McMahon for a long time. And he just said last year they just weren't tough enough. So this year, of course, he, he had, like you said, the great building blocks of a big man. And by the way, to me, that's always an upset special in, in my bracket if the so-called mid-major team has a quality big that that commands maybe a double team, then there's a good chance that they can win. And then especially when you've got a guard like Tevin Brown who can score it um, and, and, a, and a great point guard, which they do in Justice Hill. But what I think pushed them over the edge this year, they went into the portal and collected big time, um, including a couple of starters, D.J. Burns, who came from Southern, and Carter Collins, who'd come from Davidson, they actually, he's a point guard, they'd actually recruited him, but he was in the same class as Ja Morant. So they thought, well, we got Ja, I guess we're good. Yeah. So Carter goes to Davidson, plays on three postseason teams, and then he grad transfers over to Murray State, and he's uh, started all 28 games. They got another kid, Jordan Skipper Brown from Eastern Illinois. So I know you've seen them up close and personal. What's it like in their building? Now, obviously, they're not going to have that advantage, but their building is pretty rocking, isn't it? It is. It's a great place uh, in Murray, Kentucky. And, yeah, I've been up there several times uh, with Belmont to do games, and the crowd's always cranked up. The one year we went up there in, in 2019 uh, when, when John Morant, I believe, was a sophomore, I think he only played two seasons there, but however it was, was two, yeah. it, it was pretty obvious he's going to the NBA draft when the season was over with. And Belmont had Dylan Windler, who ended up being a first-round draft pick as well. There there were just a slew of NBA scouts in the building. I, mean, I look down the way, and I see like Danny Ainge, and I see all these familiar faces uh, from around the NBA. It's like, man, this is pretty cool. Uh, it, it was so cranked up in there that night for that game. And unfortunately, Ja turned his ankle early in the game, and he, he was able to play, but he just wasn't really the same. And he sort of took all the air out of the place. But uh, we've been up there lots of times for, for some really big showdown games, and it was fun. And uh, Belmont will be up there on, on Thursday of this week. And uh, Murray wiped him out when they played in Nashville. So uh, we'll see if uh, the tables turn a little bit or if Murray gets the season sweep. And you got to think if they win that game, they'll, they'll win the remaining game. I think they play Southeast Missouri to finish up conference play. But you, you go to the OVC tournament, and it's like a Murray home game there too, uh, whether it's in Evansville or previously when it was at Municipal in Nashville. Uh, you see a lot of gold and blue in the building, and, and I'm sure that will be the case, uh, hoping their racers can make another uh, NCAA tournament trip. But uh, that will be the uh, first of our Blue Ribbon Bracket Busters, and we'll have a few of those for you as we uh, march on toward the beginning of the NCAA tournament and uh, Selection Sunday now. It isn't all that far away anymore, so uh, looking forward to it. Chris, always great to do the podcast with you. It's always a lot of fun. We get great guests. Uh, you, you make those happen, and, and we'll do it again next week, man. Sounds good, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That's a Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.